And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Let's talk about consumer electronics startups. Man, there's a whole lot to unfold there. The complexity of consumer electronics is probably a lot wider and deeper than you might think. That's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of Startup Hustle, which is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I've got Jeff Weig, and Jeff is the founder and CEO of Bright Labs, this is B-R-Y-G-H-T Labs, and you can go to playchessup.com to learn more about what they do, and I'm going to let him reveal why playchessup.com is the right place to go to learn more about Bright Labs, but uh, before, I, before I let Jeff introduce himself, I need to let everyone know that Bright Labs is also on Kansas, Startup Hustle's Kansas City Top Startups list in 2023. This whole series of shows that you've heard in and around this episode has been dedicated to our hometown and its top startups. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I'm about to enjoy this conversation, which I will begin by saying, Jeff, welcome to Startup Hustle. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, congratulations. You're, you're on the top startups list. Oh, appreciate it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd like to actually start any conversation with uh, a little bit about your backstory. So what do you got? All right. So, uh, I mean, we'll go all the way back. Uh, I grew up in Indiana. My dad actually was a civil engineer, had his own engineering firm. So small company, he ran it from age of 23 until he retired and sold it to his company, back to his employees actually at the end. And so my background growing up was always being around that, you know, dad would come home for dinner and go back to the office and uh, used to work summers for him and everything like that. And, and really made a big impression on me. And, and one, you know, he did run his own business, but two, my dad was a guy who would do any job that that company required. So if it's cleaning the gutters, painting the roof or painting, you know, the side or, or redoing the roof on this office building, like that was my dad, he would go do that. And uh, you know, once I turned into a teenager, I started working for him and doing those jobs with him. Uh, I definitely never wanted to be a civil engineer uh, because what he did was landfill design and construction inspection. So my job during the summers was actually, you know, going with him on the job sites. We'd go out and work on a new cell of a landfill. And that means it's July, it's hot, it's humid, and it smells like garbage all day long. So that was that was day to day work for him. Uh, but everything I did pick up from him is that you know I, I, I liked engineering. I wanted to eventually be an entrepreneur like him. Um, and so when I headed off to college, I actually went to Purdue and studied engineering there, started as a chemical engineer, but learned I really didn't like that, fell in love with computer engineering because I like programming. Uh, and so got a computer engineering degree. After that, I bounced around a few jobs doing um, automated test equipment for automotive parts, and then actually ultrasonic rail inspection in the railroad industry. And eventually I found my way to Garmin. 
which is a big consumer electronics company, does a lot of outdoor and automotive electronics, uh, aviation electronics. And so my job there was kind of a half step into entrepreneurship. It was a product architect role, which meant that I was basically an inventor and market researcher for Garmin. Uh, our job, we were in this innovation lab group called Area 51, was actually to come up with ideas, markets, products that Garmin's regular business segments wouldn't be working on. So it's not the iterative products. It's kind of these higher risk, longer out there, more risky uh, research. And loved the job. It was amazing. Uh, got to see a lot of ideas. Some of them fail. Got to see some turn into real products. Had some of my own ideas turn into big hit products. And that was the final thing. Like, okay, I could do this. Um, so I left Garmin three years ago now and started Bright Labs. Um, on the way, I took a year to also get a, an MBA. Um, did that as an accelerated one-year program. But whole time there, I was working on Bright Labs. And I also had a couple guys, Adam and Justin, who were my co-founders. They were I knew them from the Innovation Lab at Garmin. They were working nights and weekends with me, and we were coming up with product ideas for Bright Labs. And the idea of Bright Labs is it is an innovation lab. Uh, what we did is our very first product was actually, we all have kids, so everybody's thinking of problems and, and, and things that they face at home. And one of the things is like, get the kids off the screen. I want some family games. So a natural thing we, we worked on was uh, chess. Uh, chess was an idea. My daughter was playing a, a mobile app with chess on it. And, and, you know, I got out the chess board and we wanted to teach the family how to play chess. And uh, the problem was, it's like, yeah, it's really hard over a real board to teach somebody, um, you know, how do the pieces move, why that's a legal move, what's a good move, what's a bad move. So the idea was a chess board that taught you how to play. And that became what was our product, Chess Up, and that's why our website's playchessup.com. Uh, we didn't have any money. Uh, we didn't, a consumer electronics product, um, and there's an app component to this because the, the chess board teaches you how to play. It also connects online. You can play online with other opponents. Uh, a product like that is a couple million bucks to bring to market, basically, by the time you get all the engineering, software work, tooling, all that done. And we had zero. So we went to Kickstarter with the idea. We built a prototype, you know, spent just a few 10,000 bucks on that prototype, hired a marketing agency for Kickstarter to film a video for us and run ads. And we put it on Kickstarter and did a $1.7 million campaign. So that was the launch of Bright Labs officially. Before that, we weren't really a company. It was a couple of guys working out of a garage, basically. There's your $2 million. Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so we got close to that total that we needed. And those guys quit their job. I had already quit. And we started. And from there, the product was just a prototype. So there's still all of the engineering effort that needed to go in to turn it into uh, a real product and then also distribution and also setting up the company. So well, well, let's get to that in a minute. So, okay. So let's back up a little bit. So first off, you had a, you had a history. So Garmin, I'm old enough to remember when Garmin was the like brand name for GPS. Yeah. Like that was the very first thing. It was like, <laughs> hey, put it in your Garmin. Um, but yeah, the, the learning how to build consumer electronics, I think you probably, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's a level of complexity to this that is far deeper and broader than I think most people that want to bring a product to market realize. Oh, yeah. So um, it's not even just it's design work. First of all, you got to find a product people want. And then you got to do all the design work. It's not just design, it's designed for manufacturing because consumer, it's going to be very tight on margin. You know, price point is really, really important. It's not a B2B or a professional tool. 
So there's a lot of design for manufacturing. You have plastic injection molding, you have circuit board design, you have all this compliance work too. Is it safe? Can you import it all these different places? So there's a ton of aspects that go into an actual consumer electronics product that make it much more complicated than, you know, any kind of just plastic toy versus, or even software. It's got tons of other aspects to it that it makes it a pain, quite honestly. Everybody that I've talked to that has had any consumer electronics product has helped me come to realize that you're in some ways launching two or three different startups when you start a new thing. Cause you mentioned you got to build a physical thing. So that's one whole thing right there. Yeah. Like just building anything that is, is that you can touch is it, that is a challenge in itself. And then you have software that also has to go inside it. So that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Embedded software. It, it, and, and embedded software is different than the software that you use in the cloud. A hundred percent. And then most of the time, well, now in the modern age, uh, if you have a consumer electronic, it probably needs to connect to something else, which is often an app, like you mentioned. Yep. So there's a third thing. And e- doing any one of those three by themselves is hard. So now you, so congratulations, you pick something that's three times as hard as any of those singularly. And that's, you know, the first, the person you talk about local startups and, and, embedded stuff. It was Davion Ross from Shot Tracker, okay, yeah. who is, you know, a very a big success story here in Kansas City. And they had to well, not only build a basketball that had a sensor in the center of it, they had to get NCAA and NBA and all these people to adopt it. And there's all these, you know, crazy, crazy questions yeah. that go through it. And the hard part that they have is as well. So, you know, if you want to build cloud-based or web-based software and you want, you know, we're used to working with developers and, and they're like, Hey, I'll push that fix right upstream. Not as straightforward (laughs) with a consumer electronics product. How can you even get the update to it? So, I mean, that's, that's been a challenge. So, so out of those three, do you, I would imagine you have to start with a physical product first before you try to embed anything in it, right? Yeah, we went and, and this came up and it's like, you can, you know, software, you get to compile or recompile when you, design a injection molding tool, you got, you got one compile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and those are really expensive to build. Yeah. It's the way I understand it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we spent nearly a hundred thousand dollars in tooling uh, just on molds, just on molds. Yeah. And we got it done cheap. You know, you can spend a lot more if you have something that's uh, too shot or more complicated. You mentioned, uh, yeah, it, it shot trackers. I am familiar with them. Great company. Um, they had the business development aspect on top of all those other efforts with us. We I'll add a fourth, uh, thing we are is we're an e-commerce company too. True. So, yeah. um, we, you know, we deal with, well, I wanted that. to save that for a little later because <laughs> okay. there's, we've, we've, yeah, you were, uh, one of the companies that, uh, launch KC gave a grant to, yep. and we shared some interesting stories about, uh, what happens after, because everyone's like, Oh man, I would, I would love someone out there listening is going, dude, they did 1.7 million on Kickstarter. Yeah, there's stick around. We'll talk about that here in, <laughs> here in a bit. Now, but I want to kind of go back to you talk about the mold thing. And, and that is, so uh, as in the world of startups, and especially tech, the word agile is, is such a key word. You can't be agile with your mold. So, yeah, the, the ways around that. Um, you but know, it's not agile. It's still not agile. <laughs> no, no, you have to make a new mold or, or do yeah. something that isn't agile. Agile, by definition, would be fixed, nimbly, able to move quickly. 
Right. So what we do, and, and to work around that a little bit, is, is you 3D print everything you can when mm. you're prototyping. And so we have various 3D printers in-house. Um, from Smart. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. So we have a big one that can print something the size of a chessboard. We have a very fine detailed one that can do different materials, soft materials, hard materials. So that doesn't solve the problem that once you do the mold, it's done. But like it does allow you some iteration and some functioning prototypes to work, consider that. work through that. But um, No technology, man. That, yeah. well, well, 10 years ago, access to something like a 3D printer wasn't. wasn't oh, no. It was, I mean, now there's, I mean, you obviously have like hobby stuff. And I'm sure that's not what you're working with. Uh, the hobby stuff is what we do use. It's good enough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of this. So uh, we're, we spent um, $1,000 on this big format one. It's, it's a hobbyist machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did spend a so little So it was 1000 bucks. 1000 bucks for that one. Bad. No, not at all. Yeah. That's what people buy hmm. for their hobby. And then the other one we do have is a little, little higher end. We have a, a, a laser one, that stereo stereo laser one that's about four or $5,000. Smaller smaller parts. Still not more. outrageous, no. man. I mean, there's there's computers that you know, developers might use that cost that much. Yeah. It's not the, not the end of the world. Now, does it require, I would imagine they require some, it, what's the level of expertise needed to actually get it to make something? Uh, I was able to do it. So it wasn't that hard, I guess. <laughs> uh, we had a mechanical engineer. Um, w- when we did start, there was four founders and one was a, a fourth guy from Garmin um, and he was a mechanical engineer. So he used to design all the parts. So he had a big leg up there. I never had to touch the design part of it, but using the printers easy. So interesting. Okay. So that's going to provide some agility because you yep. can maybe see what it is or if it fit. Is yeah. That part of the fit. Oh, hundred percent. And then, I mean, a lot of this is also user experience. So you're handing these prototypes to people to, okay. to test out. I would imagine chess is something that can be finicky in some regards because some I think that's when people are passionate about chess and they've play it for years upon years. So maybe if it doesn't look or feel the right way. Yeah. It's uh, the thing they get the most picky about is the feel of the pieces. So yeah, they that's, should... that's, uh, that's my point. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, they need to be a certain size. They can be undersized, oversized to, you know, how well do they get past each other? Are they weighted at the bottom? Like, so we were, uh, I think we got this right. We have a very nice set. It's weighted, it's fitted properly. It's follows standards for heights and everything like that. But that's exactly where we, we do do something before the mold's done. We are 3D printing those and playing yeah. with And we can, uh, you know, Matt Watson bought your chessboard and yeah. loves it. I mean, <laughs> he loves it. Like I was at his house the other day and it was sitting, his his kids were playing with awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, sitting there I, and so I got a chance to check it out. You did a great job in building it. Appreciate it. Now man. that's a... Uh, if you go to playchessup.com, you you have a new, uh, is that a newer one that's for sale? That uh, says it's the same one. Sh- okay. So that's about 300 bucks. Yeah. Uh, right now it's $299. Uh, we have, uh, we're, you're on pre-order because we sold out a product, but it's cut. Yeah. So that's, that's just batch I'm, two of this. I'm sorry. And congratulations <laughs> yeah, on that. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's a great problem to have, right? Um, but it's but- not. It's not a great problem to have. I, I, I mean, I think you know that too, because uh, yeah. you don't get to sell anything until you make more of them. The, uh, so to, I mean, we'll cover this point a little bit that some people might not realize when you have logistics as well, like we have distribution centers and these are third party, we don't own them or anything, but in the UK and Canada, in the EU, in Hong Kong, in Australia, and in the United States, when you run out of stock, it's a huge problem. Yeah. You have contracts with these people for monthly minimums. You have, mm-hmm. now you're running out of one part here. What We have accessories as well and different color options, but you're running out of one thing here and not the other one there. And so you have to manage your e-commerce platform correctly too, with all of this inventory stuff. 
running out's a huge pain. <laughs> so, well, the, the issue is that, and that's very immeasurable is opportunity cost. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the, here's the thing is, and I want, if you're listening, go to play chess up and order for the next batch, but there's some people that won't. Right. Yeah. Cause like you're looking for a birthday gift next week for your kid. Right. It's, and then some people just aren't patient. We are in this now economy where Amazon will sometimes bring you stuff the same day. Yep. You know, what do you mean I have to wait until May? So, yeah, it's uh, people have said that to me in the past. That's why I bring it up is like because at full scale, we grew really quickly. And, and at one point in early in the second quarter of 2022, I had a waiting list for clients. Oh, yeah. And people are like, dude, that's congratulations. I'm like, on what? Because <laughs> because like you mentioned with the minimums and the other things like, well, OK, so what are my salespeople supposed to do? Maybe yeah. look for the next client, but it's hard to get pe- people have have now needs. And if you can't, if you're not in a now economy, then you miss the opportunity. Yeah. And, and that was expensive. That was definitely expensive. And also you try to launch, you talk about doing like a launch or a grand opening or anything. If you don't have anything on the shelf, don't bother. It's uh, so yeah. Even to put this in numbers, it's like, so we're an e-commerce company. We run ads, we convert, we have a cost of customer acquisition and return on ad spend, Right when you're live selling, those numbers are great, but when yeah. you're pre-selling, it's the same thing you're talking about. You're not converting as well. Everything's less efficient. Um, and so you are losing a lot of opportunity and, you know, even to just put real numbers to it. I think our revenue is when we're live selling is five X or more. What oh, we sure. Pre-sell. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a big, it, it, it's a pause on the company here for a couple months while we wait for the, and that's why that's not a good problem. It's yeah, it's yeah. better than other problems, but it's still a problem. Yeah, true, true. And I, I mean, I would rather take being sold out over not selling anything yeah. at all, and like sitting in a warehouse on top of all the stuff. Go, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> but, but yeah, and th- those are things that yeah, there is something to be said though about the demand side of it, because that in some for some things. So I used to be a ticket broker. I've done a lot of stuff. Okay. That, that really I have a strong understanding about the value of scarcity and, and, and exclusivity. And I worked in the music industry for a while as well. And like a booking agent will tell a band to play a smaller room than they can fill. Cause you want to leave people out on the street. Cause the thing <laughs> is, is if you feel like you can always go up to the box office and buy a ticket, then you won't know where to Then there's no urgency to do it. And then the thing is, is the day of the show comes and there are literally like 150,000 reasons that someone will, come up with to not go. Oh yeah. Yeah. You ever buy tickets to something? It sounds like a great idea. And then as the, or, (laughs) or you sign up, I think a lot of people do this. So they're like, sign up for like the Iron Man. Yeah. Like like the mud crawler thing. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to kill this thing. And then as it gets closer, they're just dreading it. Yeah. So there, but you bought it. So you're going to go, but yeah, but that, that, that uh, exclusivity or FOMO can play well in a lot of things and actually drives a lot of value. There's you look at the secondary resale market of a zillion different things. And that can, you know, like there's sneakers is a big one uh, concert tickets. You know, there's a whole, like, I mean, that's how StubHub makes a living. Oh yeah. That's how ticket brokers make a living. You know, some of that's just having, people would call us at the ticket brokerage and they'd be like, why am I paying so much for this? I'm like, you're not paying for the ticket. You're paying for us to have woken up and bought it for you on the day that you forgot. <laughs> you had your shot That's already. what you're paying for. <laughs> right. And, or, or in some cases, you know, for that business was largely driven by relationships we had with teams and venues that had these VIP things that are only for sale. If you're going to buy them for a whole year. Yeah. And no one's really, there aren't that many people buying a VIP table next to a, you know, like, and some, yeah, for the Kansas city chiefs, hot commodity, but even the Royals who are a shitty team right now, 
they have a hard time selling anything. Right. So they'll take the buyer. But yeah. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about what happens when things go really well. And uh, before we do that, a quick reminder that finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Fullscale.io to learn more. If, you know, if you're not aware, that's my company. We love talking to Startup Hustle listeners and at least giving you some good advice. So reach out, fill out that form. Okay, so as a reminder, Jeff Weig, founder and CEO of Bright Labs, go to playchessup.com. If you haven't already clicked it, there's a link in the show notes. All right, so a couple things. So you sell $1.7 million worth of stuff on Kickstarter. And you were also recently on Shark Tank. Yeah. So, so I... That's probably drove some sales. Yeah. And then you also have to deliver $1.7 million worth of chess boards. And that's what we talked about when I saw you at the, at the, at the grants, uh, acknowledge, was that, what was that? The that watch was, KC. Well, I know, but what was, is that, is that the, uh, is that the showcase? That's the. They were announcing the winners. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. I just, there's always, they always have weird names for that shit. They had, you had to get up on stage and talk for one minute. I coached a bunch of people on that, on that, yeah. that elevator pitch. It's actually a fun video of us doing that. We, they came here and learned and they did so much better. There was, they had three, I won't say who, well, you can see there's a bit social video, but we made them give their elevator pitch on the elevator on the way down. That was the time. And, and we filmed that no, we filmed it and that's on social media. You can go find it at startup hustle stuff. So, Last time I talked to you, um, and if you saw Jeff, Jeff has no hair. Yeah. And I feel like he may have before he <laughs> went to deliver all these chess boards. What, what, what's it like when things go really well? Yeah, so Everyone's planning for things to not go well. So what happens when they do? This, uh, those two events stacked up right on top of each other. The fulfillment for all of our backlog from Kickstarter and Shark Tank airing happened at the same time. So, yeah, it was a crazy period. Um, what happens then is... Uh, so one thing is like we underestimated this was the amount of high touch interactions you have with a customer just to get them a box. Um, yep. You know, they gave you the wrong address. It's stale because it's a Kickstarter order. Or they a, moved. They moved yeah. like, or the curry, they didn't type it in right. Cause it's an address in you know, South Korea and the form only takes, you know, English addresses or something or the courier loses the package. And so like you put all of that together, it was holiday season. We aired in December we were finishing all of our fulfillment from Kickstarter all in December as well. And so it's thousands of packages going out, thousands of new sales, thousands of customer inquiries. How did, you know, they open the box. I can't figure out how it works. This kind of stuff is all going on all at once for us. And uh, that was the last, you know, right now, um, this is now we're about a month past it, but like we finally just cleared our customer support backlog of tickets that we track from eight, going back six to eight weeks, basically. So uh, tiny company. We don't have dedicated customer support yet. And, um, you know, and it, it really, all of that happened all in one month. It was like two years worth of customer support packed into one month. And, uh, that was, that was nuts. It was great though, because it's like, yeah, we're on shark tank. You get that permanent lift from that show. We sold a bunch of boards because of it, and, uh, but we just couldn't handle all of the customer support and everything that comes on the back end <laughs> that people don't know. about. Such a relief. We are done with it now. We are caught up. Um, almost even, kind of happy that we have this pre-sale period for a couple of weeks so we can take a breather. And it's, you know, as us, as a, as a lab working on 
innovation lab, we're, we're, we're already working on next products now and everything like that. So uh, this is a huge relief these past few weeks versus what we were going through in December. Do you know or out of hand what day your Shark Tank episode yeah. is in case somebody wants to go find it? Uh, December 9th. It's season 14, episode 9. Uh, there's four four different companies on that show. We're the third slot. So if you want to fast forward. <laughs> we don't need to get into the details. Did you get a deal? So on the show, uh, yeah, we got uh, Lori offers us a deal. And, um, you know, we, we, we accept. And uh, it's uh, – she – it, it was like what you see on the show is very accurate to, to what will happen in the studio. I don't know if you've had other shark tank guests on and no. everything like that. They, uh, it's about 40 minutes of filming and they edited it down to, you know, eight minutes or so, but it's pretty accurate as to what happened and everything. So it was a fun experience. Uh, it's a lot more stressful than I ever could have imagined actually being up there on the stage. Cause it's one take and it's a pitch that's shown to 4 million people basically. Yeah. And so that was, that was something, but it went excellent. Like it went awesome for us. How'd you prepare for that? We, uh, when you go through the process for Shark Tank, like you, you apply and they make you make pitch videos. So you've got basically several opportunities and the producers give you feedback on, on the pitch, the, the walk-in and who's here we are. But that lasts one minute, uh, two minutes out of the, out of the 40 yeah. minutes you're up there. So on the preparation side, you know, if, you, if you're already running the business and you know your numbers and all this stuff, you're already prepared. Uh, so we, we didn't really do much other so than- So you, you didn't have Mark Cuban yelling at you if you don't, if you don't know your numbers, <laughs> yeah. you don't know your business. Yep, yeah, we didn't get that line. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, got, got another, other tussles with him. Um, the, uh, they edited that out. Um, but there's, yeah, it's pretty easy. Honestly, if you're, if you're involved in the day-to-day and as a small company, you're gonna be knowing all this stuff. There wasn't much preparation other than getting the set design I feel like if you know your shit, you know your shit. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know that sounds super cliche, but if, I don't know, I'd feel pretty comfortable pitching my business or discussing it in detail at like any given time. Um, you know, the basic understanding of it, I mean, real time, like analytics and data is a little less practical. You have a pretty good idea. And, you know, keep in mind for those of you that want to make a pitch, uh, we've talked so much about this on the show. I actually just finished recording an episode that was all about getting funded in a pre-product kind of way. Okay. Someone else stole your stole your thunder there <laughs> in some regards. But but with that, remember when you're going out and giving that pitch, the the thing that I really want to remind every founder or entrepreneur hopeful of is that at that stage, investors are more interested in you than they are in the product. The product is great, but you could have a great product and if a terrible founder or founder team, and they're not going to write a check. Uh, so here, I, I'll even reinforce this. Like we have a launch product, right? But one thing, this is one downside people don't catch on Kickstarter is before you, when you just pitch an idea, there's, there's an infinite range of outcomes. You can imagine yeah. huge outcomes. You can imagine nothing. Kickstarter brings both of those ends in like, you know, now it's defined. Here's, here's how many you sold. Yeah. Um, so there's no more pitching a hundred X upside on it or anything like that. So when we pitch and, and this helps with shark tank as well, we we're pitching actively anyways, all the time. Um, you have to pitch something other than that product um, because the product's already kind of defined, you know, you're not going to be telling a 10 X growth story, a hundred X growth story on one product. So it's for us, it's always been about pitching the team, um, pitching the innovation lab, which is the truth. Like we've, we've come up with hit products many, many times over just under a different brand. Well, in your case, you came from like one of the premier 
consumer electronics companies out there. Yeah. And we, and, and that experience is part of my point though, cause it's not like, okay, if I show up and I'm pitching, okay, first off, I'm not a chess enthusiast. I mean, I'm, I know how to play chess. Right. I don't spend a lot of time playing. I might need to buy your board and learn. I tried to teach my son how to play and we had this stupid Harry Potter chess. <laughs> I couldn't tell the characters apart. It turned into checkers. And yeah, there you go. But, you know, so, but with that, without that passion for the game, I don't have a background in consumer electronics. I do have a background in a lot of the other stuff from software to e-commerce. Yeah. But without those two things, especially the passion missing, telling you almost every investor you could ever find is going to know that right away. They could tell right away. I've had so many people pitch me for investments and I can, I've, I mean, I'm telling you, I've told a lot of people, it's pretty clear that you're not passionate about really? this. Yeah. This is the, it's, it's, it ha, I, the passion has to exist. Now look, you can be passionate about making money, <laughs> but I sometimes don't even sense that the reason that the passion Part is key is there's a lot, man, there is a day, there is probably not just, I'm going to say days where you've woken up since you took on being an entrepreneur where you're like, I mean, if, if anyone tells you, if you talk to any entrepreneur that tells you they haven't considered quitting, they're lying because <laughs> it doesn't mean it didn't run through your head. It, it's there. It's there. It's always an option, man. The door is right over there, people. The bell, go ring the bell and you can get out of this Navy SEALs training. <laughs> like the, the whole thing. And, and, and business and entrepreneurship are very Darwinistic in that regard. And, and you know, the tough, tenacious people, it's a, it's a tough climb. It's a tough fight. Yeah, and, so. and when you're passionate about something, it doesn't feel as much like work. So you're going to get up and, and, and execute that mission with a little more. I mean, so I define self-discipline as doing the things you need to do at the times you want to do them the least. That's, that's a very it, simplistic view, but it's true. I might as well define entrepreneurship that way. Too. Well, well, right, right. So the, uh, here's a tip. If, if you really um, want to make sure that you have, uh, you know, yeah, no, no option to quit, like uh, borrow some money from family. <laughs> You'll show up to work every day. So like, I mean, we have, uh, and I joke about it, but like the Kickstarter money doesn't cover the product development. I already covered that. Right. But like, so we had to get funding and, and uh, took family and friends money. Passion, yes, got that. Love consumer electronics, love invention. Don't love logistics. Don't love all these other aspects. But I tell you, if you have some accountability forced on you, and having co-founders does that too, right? Yeah. You're, you're there for them. They're there for you. Each of you is going to run out of energy at some point. And, and like, so to me, most critical things there was having co-founders. Um, I, I didn't believe in co-founders like 15 years ago. I just didn't like it. And now I don't think I'd want to do it without one. You want to find co-founders that, are good at stuff you're not good at preferably and or yeah. at least interested in doing the things that you're not good at or interested in yeah so um our team on a, for instance of so this consumer electronics we already covered it's like mechanical design it's circuit board design it's software it's firmware it's all this we built our team as the minimum headcount that can release a consumer electronics product that's our founding team so it's a designer it's electrical engineer it's computer engineer and we had a mechanical engineer when we started he he ran out of personal runway and went back to Garmin, but like, um, that's, that's, you have to have at least that to get a product to market. That's well, we that's going to happen too along the way, you know, so you talk about some people, this is not for everyone. No, uh, it is certainly not. I I've also given a lot of people that advice over the years is for me, especially since startup hustle came out, I get a lot of the, Hey man, I'd love to talk to you about an idea. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, I've sat down with quite a few people and just said, you know what? I don't know if this is for you. 
because the, they're the things that they say is they're just you can just tell that the risk is gonna the risk and the stress and the anxiety is probably gonna consume them it's uh yeah and so a hundred percent i agree that it's not for everybody um and i don't even mean that as like it's some exclusive club or anything like that it's just not as fun as people think yeah. it is it's it is fulfilling yeah uh, I do like the the risk, meaning the upside and the downside, like you, you, you yeah. enjoy in the upside and all that stuff, but like, it's definitely not, not something that everybody wants that kind of risk in their life. Well, and, and there's just certain personality styles or people in, in certain just spots in life. Yeah. It's, it's tough to handle. And that's, and that's part of it is there's, if you think entrepreneurship is going to be a nine to five, it's not, no. it is in fact, in 2023 and beyond almost a 24 hour it's 24 7 365 especially if you're in e-commerce or software because the internet never closes no. man the internet is open all <laughs> the time every time yep. and 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 you know the good old murphy's law thing of you know talking about how anything that could go wrong will happen will do so at the worst possible time Oh yeah. Murphy's an entrepreneur that is somewhere just extracting revenge. You know, cause, <laughs> cause I'll tell you what, if you're going to have a problem with something, it, it doesn't ha- usually happen from nine to five. It's at like 2 AM on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. just something weird like that. You talk about the logistics thing of that. I've been, uh, so I, I actually had history with e-commerce and retail and, yeah. and man, that struggle is real. And it's a lot better now than it was like 10, 15 years ago. Shopify uh, makes things easy. And Shopify all makes things a lot easy, but also just even the carriers. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can click a little bit. I just got an email that said I had two UPS packages dropped off and, and, you know, I'm not worried that those aren't going to be on my porch when I get home, but there's someone that got that notification. <laughs> that's like, Hey, go out and get those off the porch. Yeah. Now look, if someone I don't know, dude. I see a new reel or short or something about every other day that shows someone's ring camera showing shit getting stolen off their front porch. Now, look, that comes back to you. Yeah, yeah. A lot does. of times. And we would get that too as, as at, at the ticket brokerage because we were shipping out hundreds of tickets sometimes. And when we switched to electronic delivery, it, there was a little bit of a learning curve for society with that. But it was so much better because we weren't having to track down or cancel lost tickets and their barcodes and like a lot of that. It's like half the time people would want to cancel it and they're like, it never arrived. We're like, we have a delivery confirmation and it shows you signed for it. And so like electronic delivery is a game changer for you guys yeah. in that. Well, what it was in that regard. And that's, and that, that kind of removed that. But I, you know, I work with clients and other people that are in the sneaker game. Uh-huh. Oh, so yeah, like, okay. so like one of our clients, a big sneaker resale shop. And, you know, part of the issue there is like, actually people that work at the carrier will steal yeah. your shit. Oh, and I, so they have to like mask it almost <laughs> like, it's like, a, this is not from Nike, you know, yeah. or something. And, and by the way, when you take a shipment from Nike, notice that the box that it comes in, plain. it doesn't say Nike. And it didn't even say that it'll be like fulfillment center. <laughs> yes, there's just weird stuff. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, and, 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 uh, so I used to work for, I was in electronics in some sorts. I used to work for Roland and that's okay. the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. Okay. 5 billion a year in sales. Nice. And as their district manager in the Midwest for a few years, like, oh my God, you get like, we, so I worked in piano and keyboard and those are big boxes, you know, forklift stuck in the side <laughs> of one of them or something. And it's just like, God, I, I can't imagine what you went through deliver. How many, how many deliveries yeah. was 1.7 million? 
We uh, so Kickstarter alone is about six thousand units um, of chessboards. Now we have accessories too, so we're pack, we're picking and packing as well. Um, in November, December, we delivered something around ten thousand deliveries or something. So even if 1% gets stolen or go wrong, that's a hundred things you have to go file. Well, and think about that people. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. So that would have actually been a little high on the shrink side when I was in retail. So like our goal, when I I managed a chain of retail stores that sold musical instruments for a couple of years and uh, like we were aiming for a quarter of a percent. Okay. And anything over that was high. And that was like a lot. I mean, that could be just missing, broken, what stolen. Uh, I mean, and that's, but that's still a lot. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot when you look at it and you think about the volume of transactions or the number of SKUs or things that you handle. And, and yeah. to us, like domestically, it works pretty well in the U S but we're delivering, we have 72 countries on our Kickstarter list. That's what I wanted to talk about. Let's how you had to have, I just, and I, I say had to have, I have a feeling that you probably learned a little bit about shipping costs to some of those places. So here, if, if anybody's listening and is thinking about a Kickstarter, I'm going to tell you the wills and won'ts that we won't do again. Um, not going to collect shipping during the campaign because now you've taken like, oh, you know, international things, shipping. Things change. Be, what are 35, yeah. 45 bucks? Oh, it's yep. way more than that for some of these destinations. Um, and we would actually, next time around, we're going to, not take certain countries, um, these high import tariff duties. Yep. Well, we talked about that in the Philippines. So yeah. in the Phil- so a lot of these countries that keep in mind that they don't make a lot of stuff in the country. So there's it's the same way we, it's tariffs. You yeah. remember in, and uh, what was it? And uh, what's the class that we'd civics or whatever, you talk about tariffs and import export taxes and stuff like that. Well, like when we, so in the Philippines, it actually costs me more money to buy an Apple product than it would here because it's an import there. So they charge it and it's like a 12% or something, but that's hundreds of dollars. And then uh, what we run into, and I think you had two there is they will oftentimes just something just stops in customs and it might be weeks or months before they actually get around to, doing anything about it. We have one customer in, in Chile um, that's been four months that the package has been in customs. Right. <laughs> it's right. Like, and there's not a whole lot you're going to do about it. No, that. it's like you refund them and tell them sorry and we eat that. Yeah. How many times did you Well, then the shipping too. Yeah. Like I would imagine that, so something that might be like 10 to 15 bucks to ship in the US might be 150. Yeah, easy. And did you get killed on a few of those? Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you get to this thing where it's like, at the end here, we're down to the final few dozen orders and it's these high touch ones that are countries that we don't have a good shipping solution for. And it's like, well, you can, you can reach out to the person, try to work something out, but that's time that we don't have as well. So we ended up just eating them and sending a lot yeah. of them. Um, uh, the, uh, because it just like, although it was expensive, it's like it was it, the customer touch point of it is delaying us from doing other parts yeah. of it. So yeah, we ate those. Yeah. Um, well, in some regards, you're better to do that. Yeah, I, I see a lot of people uh, stepping over dollars, picking up dimes. That's exactly in their business, and yeah. sometimes it's best to just give people their money back. So because you're going to spend more money messing with it. Yeah. So we we had we refund or even you just eat the hundred and fifty dollar delivery, and it's like sometimes we yep. we paid for the delivery. Um, and and that's why these there's another kind of be careful about Kickstarter sums. One point seven million isn't one point seven million. It's you're signing up for liability to deliver all these products. Mm-hmm. You're signing up like Kickstarter takes a cut of that. If you have that big of a campaign, you ran marketing oh, yeah. as well. 
That's a, that's one thing I've learned from people that have run Kickstarters is that back to that, if you build it, they will come yeah. kind of mentality. Oh, that's not true at That's all. not the case. Like you, be, you had to be ready to promote the shit yeah. out of your Kickstarter because if you don't, it's going to sit at the bottom of the list. The, the best way I saw it put is Kickstarter is a sales platform, yeah. not a marketing platform. Yeah, you have to bring your own audience. So if you have a great big social following already, awesome. But otherwise you're paying for traffic through through Facebook ads and stuff like that. And it's you know, it's like typical e-commerce. You're going to be paying, if you have a $200 item, you're paying 30, 40, maybe some Kickstarters pay way more per customer. So you're a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in marketing expenses for a big Kickstarter. It's like that with Amazon. So with the products that you buy for Prime, and if you want to learn more about Amazon and e-commerce, listen to our episodes that Andrew Morgan's hosts every week because Amazon charges close to 30% for most categories. Now they do provide a third-party logistics angle <laughs> yeah. and they'll handle the customer support and a lot of that other crap. Ah, man, and, it's, and that might sound really good to you right now. Would you have paid 30% to have someone deal with the rest of that crap? Our, uh, including That included the facilitation of the sale. Because, yeah. well, let's break it down. Yeah. So you have $1. Okay. So when, and a lot of people don't know this, when you buy something with a credit card, that merchant is already down to 97 cents. Yeah, your payment processing, 2.9% yeah. plus 30 cents. Yeah, you have things like, yeah, it, well, that's another thing with a microtransaction. Yeah. So 30 cents, yeah, 30 cents, of, doesn't 30 matter cents of an $8 transaction <laughs> is now you're really high up yeah. there. And you have things like, you know, shipping, logistics, insurance, uh, yeah. breakage, you know, all that stuff. And and then you get back down, you're down to it. You're like, wow, do I might've spent more than 30%. And, and this comes up when, when as a consumer company, you're, you're looking whether you do retail or whether you do direct to consumer e-commerce. Yeah. Right. And so at first, a lot of people look at it and they're like, ah, you know, retailer cuts going to be 30%, yeah. give or take. Um, and, and people are like, that's way too expensive. We can do it direct. Actually, those retailers are probably more efficient at doing all those other things than you are. So they're actually probably even in some cases cheaper and you're better off yeah. going through retail. And they're going to make bigger orders, not just yeah. one at a time. So, so yeah, exactly that. Like you're, you're that 30% wasn't just pure profit for that retailer. They did a yeah. lot for that 30%. So, um, it's the same thing with Amazon. Like that's a marketplace with ready buyers. Yeah. I, Amazon's a search engine. And, that's true. And, really what it comes down to. And it's actually, in my opinion, the best search engine when it comes to selling things because people are there to buy. It's it's yeah. the highest converting. We, yeah. we sell on Amazon as yeah. well. Um, and we use Amazon in two capacities. One, we, we sell on Amazon. Yeah. And two, we use them as a fulfillment partner for yeah. some of our orders. Um, and even our orders on our Shopify site will ship through Amazon sometimes. Uh, but yeah, exactly that. In our category, it's 15% take for Amazon, but it's it's bargain because like you said, those yeah. are high intent to buy people. They're searching for your product on and ready to check out. I think the thing I like about Amazon is that, um, is that it's just, you know, you talk about the ease of use of buying. So I think a lot of people, I, I, I am one of them. If I could go to an e-commerce site and see the same thing and because I could buy it on Amazon with one click and yeah. I feel really comfortable with how quickly it's going to arrive, I'll end up doing that yeah. in uh, some cases. And may, that may, may mean that I don't support it's something, but you know, <laughs> honestly, I don't care. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm supporting my own time. It's, it's also, um, there's social proof on, on Amazon. Cause there's reviews. Uh, you get a brand lift just from lifting on Amazon. People will yeah. check to see if it's listed there yep. before buying it on your own oh, website totally. because they trust it now. Yes. So well, like, and then if you have three reviews, that's also a red flag <laughs> on some regards. So there's been a whole there's a whole school of thought around that 
all of that. And, yeah. and there's, there's a lot to be said. Now, speaking of social, social proof and wanting proven things, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can help. We have the people, the platform, and the process to help you build and manage a team of experts. I said, proof, we've delivered almost 3 million service hours. 3 million. That's a lot of human time for many happy clients. Go to fullscale.io and all you need to do is answer a few questions. Our platform's going to match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced uh, software engineers, testers, and leaders. Talking about having people with experience and the value. That's what we do. We're going to, we only hire about one in 30 applicants. So you're paying us to get the 29 that you didn't want to hire and find the one all-star that you really did. Learn more at fullscale.io. So we're at the, once again, with Jeff Weig from Bright Labs, but probably better known at this point as playchessup.com. Yep. And, you know, that's the, the, the key product. We're near the end of our episode. I'm excited to have another one of Kansas City's top startups. Once again, congratulations on that. We take that list pretty seriously, as well as every list. Tune in every month because we feature a new city every month. This happens to be our hometown this month. Now, I like to end my episodes with founders with the founders freestyle. And I'm going to go ahead and do just that and hand you the mic for your closing remarks, comments, <coughs> songs, raps, poems. Yeah, the, uh, man, I wish I'd come prepared with a rap, but uh, yeah, to wrap it all up, I guess it's just like, check out the product, check out the website. Um, honestly, just some things to really cover. If, if, if you're following our story, um, Consumer electronics is really hard. If you're going to go the Kickstarter route, I highly yeah. recommend that because of all the startup capital, it's awesome. But be careful what you sign up for because all of the different different things you're signing up for with consumer electronics, circuit design, manufacturing, distribution, uh, compliance, all of that, is, it comes with it. So make sure somewhere on your team, you have somebody experienced with it. I've seen too many friends reach out when it's too late and they've gone through three design firms and they're running out of money and they can't they can't deliver. So I think that's important to realize. Other than that, you know, on the, on the, on the podcast thing, it's like, yeah, please check out our product, playchessup.com. Uh, we got a bunch of big things coming soon too. Bright Labs is the company, you know, so we're working on next products. Uh, and it's not just chess, you know, we're actually any kind of consumer electronics, a lot of cool stuff coming out soon. Well, uh, yeah, for my freestyle, I think that I want to go back to the very beginning of the episode. And I want to remind you if you want to Okay, first off, I'm not trying to discourage you, and I don't want to sound negative. Uh, if you listen to the show regularly, you know I'm a realist. If you want to launch a modern 2023 and beyond consumer electronics product, it's about more than just building something physical. There are multiple tiers, and you actually added a fourth one on there, which, you know, but you've got the physical product, you're going to have software, and then, and then connectivity you know, whatever that is that you connect to. And then as Jeff mentioned, you know, in some cases you may be e-commerce store yeah. as well. And that's a whole nother thing. That's a lot of stuff to manage people. I just, just being realistic, like most entrepreneurs and founders that I have on the show are really struggle, have struggled or are trying to get their arms around one of those four things or one of those three things. And that's a lot. So, you know, just know what you're getting into now. If, and that's like, like Jeff said, he's run into people that, that unfortunately do get a lot of people that go to full scale. And, and by the time they filled out that form, they've already had a couple of bad experiences. Yeah. We're running this rescue operation and it sucks. I feel bad for people. And it's tough when you have to tell someone 
I'm sorry you spent and had a terrible had a terrible experience with everyone because by the time that I'm dealing with them or we're dealing with them, they're already jaded at this point. That's, they're like, I spent $150,000. And then you have to tell someone, you're like, well, that's not even the worst part uh, because you have trash. Yep. So uh, here, 100%. I think the way we've approached things is like, we know what our area of expertise is and we're trying to de-risk everything else. You know what I mean? I just want a good referral. I want to go with an expert. I don't care if, if I'm paying a premium for it. I just want to get yep. the risk out of it. That's hundred percent why you Dude, I'm, I'm in, I'm in that, I'm in that boat. I, I didn't always used to be like that. And, and, you know, I talk to people and they're like, well, I, I don't know that lawyer was 400 bucks an hour. You're not paying for that hour. You're paying for all of the hours prior yeah. to that. So they could learn and understand what you needed. So that four, I, I 10 years ago went to a legal appointment and, and was like, Oh my God, this is like, 400 bucks an hour. Right. And I needed a couple hours. I was like, dude, 800 bucks. I saved about half a million bucks from some experts over, over the following years <laughs> from, it was about the way my business was set up, moving it and, and all of it. Now you mentioned you're from Indiana. Yeah. I was in Indianapolis for quite a okay, while. Cool. That's actually where my, 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 my higher level entrepreneurship story started. And, uh, you know, and, and moving a business from Indiana to Kansas and a lot of that, like if I'd done it, the if I'd done it the way that I thought that I needed to do it, it was, I, oh my God, it would have been like walking into a minefield without knowing you were in a minefield and then realizing you're in the middle of it. You somehow made it safely to the middle of it. Now you got to kick it out. Yeah. yeah so you're like, out. oh my God. So yeah, the, the advice and experts, um, you know, focus on the things that you can control that you're great at and find other experts to help support your dreams on the side. And you'll get to where you want to get a lot faster. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.